The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, friends, it is great to be with you. Uh, I'm glad that we can join together and we can uh, sing and we can uh, pray and come to the Lord's table and sit under his word. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, the portion of his, the Lord's word that we'll be looking at this morning is found in 1 John 1. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 John. We began a brand new sermon series just a week ago. Uh, we are going through the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John this uh, winter and uh, into the spring leading up to Easter. And, uh, and we're going to spend the majority of the time in 1st John. And we started last week looking at John 1, 1 through verse 4. This morning we'll pick back up in verse 5 and go through 2, 2. If you have a Bible, uh, you can have that open. There are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Now, a week ago, I said that one of the purposes, uh, there are a few purposes, but one of the purposes for which John wrote this book is found in chapter 5. At the very end of the book, uh, John tells us that he uh, is writing so that we would know our salvation. So he's writing so that we would be assured of the salvation that we have. Now, we're going to get into that verse in a few weeks. We'll look at it a little more in depth. But, but, it's that eternal life that, that John speaks of that, that we all desire, isn't it? I mean, who, who doesn't want eternal life? Free from the struggle of pain, the, the burden of sin, sadness, the, those things to be no more. I mean, that, that is the life that we desire, isn't it? And to be assured of that life, that that life is ours in Christ and we will one day experience it. I mean, that, that is what we all long for. But even as we are assured of that salvation that John speaks of, there should be a question that starts to maybe rise up in our minds and in our hearts. When we look at our lives, we might start to wonder, well, well that's fine, that's all well and good, the eternal life that is ours, but, but what about sin? And more specifically, what about my sin? I mean, when we sin, does, does that assurance just melt away? Does it go away? Well, John's taking up that topic in the next few verses, and not just the next few verses of chapter 1, but moving into chapter 2, he's turning our attention to that topic, the reality that our lives, though we have life, new life in Christ, though we have assurance of our salvation, the truth is, is that our lives are still marred and marked by sin. And so John's turning our attention to that topic and to what we're to do with it. And so with that in mind, let's read John 1, beginning in verse 5. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We come acknowledging our need for your cleansing work, acknowledging our need for your forgiveness, your mercy. I need it. We all do. And so we pray that as we come to your word that you would show us your grace again, that we would cling to your kindness, your forgiveness, and that we would walk with you. And so we ask that you would meet with us, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, several years ago, the actor and director Woody Allen was giving an interview with a French uh, television station. And the woman who was doing the interview peppered him with lots of questions. And somewhere along the way, Woody Allen acknowledged, he mentioned that he was an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. But he went a little further and he said, you know, on my best days, I'm actually agnostic. And we know what it means to be agnostic, right? That, that you're kind of not sure. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. And if there is a God, he's, he's not going to reveal himself to us. He's not certainly going to be involved in any part of my life. He, he said on his best days, he's agnostic. Well, the interviewer, she kept pressing and peppering him with questions and pushed a little further and said, well, well Woody Allen, if, if there was a God... If there was a God, and he would speak to you, what would you want to hear from him? It's a great question. Well, Alan, he thought about it, and he said in response to that, if there was a God, and God would speak to me, what would I want to hear? That you are forgiven. Those are the words that Woody Allen would want to hear from God. You are forgiven. Now think about what he's communicating when he says this, when this is the desire of his heart, when this is what he is longing for. What he's communicating is that he's in need of forgiveness and that he's aware of it, right? That there is something in his life that has gone terribly wrong, that he has fallen short of some sort of standard, that he is in need of forgiveness. It's incredibly honest, isn't it? And insightful and profound. But you know, for all of, his, all of his profundity and for all of his insight and for all of his honesty, it's actually quite sad, isn't it? It's sad because though he wants to hear those three beautiful words, you are forgiven, he doesn't believe in a God. And he certainly doesn't believe that he'll ever hear those words from him. He's going to live the rest of his life with the weight of his guilt and the burden of his shame and of wanting forgiveness but never hearing those words. Well, maybe that's some of you this morning. Maybe those are three words that you long to hear, but, but you're not sure they'll ever be spoken. I mean, can we truly be forgiven? I mean, the sins that we bear, the sins that we know, the ways in which we have fallen, like, can we truly be forgiven? And before we answer that question, we have to see why we are even in need of forgiveness. And to see our need for forgiveness, we need to start with who God is and his character. And that's where John begins. He begins with the character of God. And what he tells us is that God is holy. We see it in verse 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, that language, God is light, it could mean that God manifests his glory. 
that he reveals himself in these ways of light, like in Exodus as the fiery pillar led the people through the wilderness, right? That was God manifesting his glory through light. Or, or it could mean that God is revealing the ways in which we are to go, right? Like the psalmist describes that his word is a light unto our feet, right? He directs our ways. Those are different ways that light reflects God's glory and his revelation, his manifestation of himself. But that's not what John's talking about here. What John's talking about here is God's holiness, his moral perfection. And we know that that's what he's talking about because of the contrast, because he says, in him there is no darkness at all. None. There's no blemish, no faltering, no failing. That God in all of his ways, in all of his actions, in his very character, there, there is no sin, there is no evil, there is no wickedness. And just to make sure that we get it, John says not just that there is no darkness, he adds the at all, none, not even just an iota, not just a smidge, there is no darkness at all. In fact, in the Greek, it's two negative words, no and none, no darkness, none. And why? Because God is perfect, because God is holy because there is nothing that he does that is wrong. He's beautiful and good. That's who God is. And it is this perfection and holiness that we see not just in 1 John, but we see it throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, we're told that his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Joshua 24, 19, for he is a holy God, 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is none holy like the Lord. Psalm 92, verse 15, the Lord is upright. There is no unrighteousness in him. We could go on and on and on and speak about the holiness of God, but I think you get the point. He is holy and perfect. There is no blemish or darkness in him. He is light. And friends, we have to start with who God is and his character and what he is and how he acts. We have to start here because he is the standard by which all else is measured. He is the standard by which all else is determined. We have to start with our knowledge of God. John Calvin, the French theologian, once said that true and sound wisdom consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And what do we know of God? He is holy and perfect and good. And so now we need to move on to the knowledge of ourselves, the knowledge of man and the actions of man. And what is it that John tells us? He tells us the action of people is that of sin. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So in these three verses, we have these three if-then statements. Did you see it? If we say we have fellowship, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, and then we have these then statements, then we lie. We deceive ourselves. We make him a liar. See, what John is trying to impress upon us is our need to recognize our sin. That we have fallen short of God's glory. 
Now, these if-then statements aren't just impressing upon us our need to see our sin, but, but it's actually telling us something about the audience in which John was writing. You see, it seems that there were those within the churches he was writing to who were claiming that there was some sort of perfectionism that they had achieved, that they do not sin any longer, or, or they were denying their sinfulness outright. And so John is challenging that. Now, I imagine that for the majority of us, uh, I I would venture to say probably all of us, none of us are coming in here this morning talking about our sinlessness, (laughs) right? This morning, like when you woke up and, you know, if you have kids, you're dragging them out of bed, you're getting them in the car, or or maybe you're doing that with your spouse, right? And (laughs) you're you're, uh, trying to get here, right? You're probably not sitting there walking in the doors thinking, man, I am so holy, Right? No, you see, that's not our problem. Our problem isn't our sinlessness, thinking that. Though I will tell you, as an aside, a few years ago when I was living in South Carolina, I did meet a man who told me that he had not sinned for five years. In that moment, I wanted to go ask his wife and his kids what they thought. (laughs) But it was a funeral, so it wasn't appropriate for me to do that. But But y'all, that's not our problem, is it? That's not what we're doing. No one here, I would venture to say, is claiming perfection, right? And we're, we're uh, not claiming to be without sin, no. And yet, I think we've become very comfortable with our sin. And we oftentimes minimize our sin, right? We adopt the tagline of a TV show from a number of years ago that said, we're not bad people, we just did a bad thing. I think that we can easily adopt that posture, right? Like, I'm not a bad person. I just sometimes stumble, just sometimes make a mistake. I sometimes slip up with my tongue. I sometimes just, you know, I'm not a bad person. I'm certainly not as bad as they are. I mean, that's what we do, isn't it? We say things like, it's not gossip. It's just a prayer request. Right? We say things like, it's not that bad. It doesn't hurt anyone. No one will know. It's just a little mistake. It's a stretching of the truth. It's not as bad as what he did. And I'm certainly not as bad as she is. I mean, that's what we struggle with, isn't it? But friends, the truth is, is that when we adopt these postures... We're minimizing our sin, and we're excusing it away, and we're becoming comfortable with our sin, with our sin, not, not other people's sins. We, we, are, we are very discomforted by other people's sins. They make our stomachs turn, and they make us feel uneasy, and all these, but our sin, well, it's not that bad. And what we're doing when we do this is we are tacitly acting as though we don't sin, or that we don't need to worry about our sin. And y'all, that is a dangerous place to be. Because the one who says we have no sin or we have not sinned is deceiving himself and making God a liar. That's what verse 10 says. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Y'all, that is a dangerous place to be. When we look at God and his holiness, what we're going to see is not just his holiness, but we're going to see our sin. And you know what we'll see? We will sin that my sin and your sin is far worse than we could ever imagine. 
It's far worse than we thought it was. It's not just not bad, it is worse. When we look at God in our actions and we know that we have fallen short, we know we have sinned, and not just against God, but against one another, that we have turned from his ways. And so it's not just Woody Allen who needs to hear those three beautiful words. We need to hear them. We need those words, you are forgiven. I need them. And you do. And so we have to return to that original question. Is there forgiveness? Can we truly be forgiven? With all that we know about ourselves, right? All the sins that everyone knows and all the sins that we keep locked away in our hearts and no one knows. Can they be forgiven? And how does John answer us? With a resounding yes. Look at verse 7. He points us to the work of Christ, which is forgiveness. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Y'all, that is the good news. That all that sin that we were just thinking about a moment ago, that because of Christ, his blood cleanses us, it forgives us. And what's interesting is verse 9. I don't know if you picked up on that, but in verse 9 there's this interesting little phrase. God, John says that God is faithful and just. Do you see that? It's interesting, faithful and just, because he's talking about forgiveness. I mean, when talking about forgiveness, wouldn't you expect him to say something like, God is faithful and kind. God is faithful and gracious. God is faithful and gentle. He's faithful and merciful. He's faithful and generous. Those are the things we would expect to hear when he's talking about forgiveness, right? But he says faithful and just. Why just? We see the reason why he says faithful and just is because our sin, John knows, and helps us to see, is breaking God's perfect law. And because sin is against a holy God, God does not ignore his sin. And he doesn't pretend like it didn't happen. He doesn't just bypass it. You see, that's how some people might think about forgiveness. Forgiveness is just a divine, it's okay, don't worry about it. But that's not what biblical forgiveness is. Keira Knightley, the actress, she once said, if only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. You just ask for forgiveness, and then you'd be forgiven. You see, she has an understanding of forgiveness that's this divine, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. And so do whatever you want. But y'all, that's, that's not biblical forgiveness, because God is just. He doesn't ignore his just and holy law. He doesn't turn on his character. No, biblical forgiveness is costly. God will not let sin go unpunished. Biblical forgiveness is costly. And what does it cost? It costs the price of Christ's blood. The blood of Jesus, that's what we're told. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. That is where forgiveness comes. That's why John in 2.2 says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a big theological term. It basically means that God's wrath... His wrath falls upon another. That Jesus takes God's wrath and his 
God's wrath and his judgment, his punishment, he takes our sin upon himself. He takes that wrath and punishment upon himself so that it would not fall on you and me. You see, forgiveness doesn't mean that God ignores our sin or he minimizes it or he passes over it. Forgiveness means that Jesus takes our sin and that punishment on himself. His death atones for our sin. Y'all, that is the good news. That is the good news that what we are deserving of, Jesus took our place. That he takes the punishment we deserve and by his death and the shedding of his blood, he cleanses us of our sin. Right? Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now we have to say something about that last phrase, the whole world. Because it'd be very easy for us to walk away and think, well, John's talking about some sort of universalism here. That basically love wins and grace will abound. And so everyone who has ever lived and ever will live in every single place, they will be forgiven, whether they believe in Christ or not. It, it, some might walk away and think that, that. Please don't do that. Because John isn't speaking of universalism here. He's not talking about that because that would be inconsistent with the biblical witness. We know that God is going to bring punishment and judgment upon those who do not trust in Christ. In fact, Jesus himself spoke of this. And so what is he speaking of then? Well, one of the things we have to remember is that in the ancient world, there were many gods, and the gods were often geographic and limited to a particular region. And so people would seek out the favor of the mountain god or the sea god or the sun god, right? They'd go out into their boat to go fishing and they'd pray to the, the god of the sea so that the waters would remain calm. They'd be able to return home. But, but that god, his domain, his power was just over that one aspect, over the sea. And so you'd have to turn to these various gods to get favor. But that's, that's not the god of the Bible. You see, the gospel isn't limited to a single ethnicity or nationality or region or culture of the world. There aren't many gods. There aren't many possible ways of getting forgiveness. There is one God and one Lord Jesus, and there is one Savior. There's one atonement for forgiveness. Christ's. Again, John Calvin, to return to him, he says under the word all, John refers, not, John refers to all who would believe and those who were scattered through various regions of the earth. For the grace of Christ is really made clear when it is declared to be the only salvation of the world. You see, that's what John is telling us. That regardless of where you may be, whether you are in the east or the west or the north or the south, whether you are Asian or European, African or North American, there is one salvation and it is Christ. And he is the savior of all who would believe. There's one salvation, and it comes only through Jesus. And so, friends, as we recognize our sin for what it is, we have to come to Jesus and confess our sin, repenting of it, looking to his work on our behalf for forgiveness. Looking to him, not to our works, not to mine, we come to Jesus confessing our sin, and, and, and we, we're not simply looking to our, our remorse, right? Like, it'd be easy as we come confessing our sin to just think, well, 
well, look at how bad I feel. Like I'm overwhelmed by guilt, so therefore, God, you must forgive me. Or listen to these beautiful confessions I have made, right? And, and how long I have made them. And, and I'm just beating myself down over my, and so therefore, God, you must forgive me. It's easy for us to take that posture, but when we do that, we're making our salvation about our confession and about how bad we feel and about our remorse. Now, now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. We should feel bad about our sin. Remember, it's worse than we even know. And we should feel remorse and we should feel guilt and we should confess. But we are not saved by our confession. We're saved by Christ. As Karen Jobes put it, she says, the efficacy of confession of sin lies not in the confessor, not in ourselves, but in the faithfulness and righteousness of God whose son's blood was shed for this very purpose, for the purpose of forgiveness. You see, friends, because of what Christ has done, we come confessing our sin, knowing that because of what he has done, there is forgiveness today. There is forgiveness today, even now. Y'all, even now, before the Father, Jesus stands as our advocate. That's what verse 1 tells us. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so the picture that John is giving us here is of the heavenly courtroom where justice is handed out and Jesus stands in that courtroom and he speaks on our behalf. And when he speaks on our behalf, he doesn't speak about my good works or my good deeds or yours. No, because there are not enough good works. There are no good works that would bring us into God's presence. No, what he speaks and what he invokes is his righteous works. He stands before the Father as our advocate, as our mediator, declaring that we belong to him, that we have been and are forgiven because of his work. And so, friends, come to the Father. Today, come honestly confessing your sin. No longer walk in the dark, but expose that sin to the light. Come to the Father. Declare his holiness Confess that we have fallen short. Confess that we deserve his just punishment and lay hold of the grace given by Jesus. For friends, there are three beautiful words that God, because of Christ, declares to his people. He says, because of Jesus, you are forgiven. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that because of what Christ has done in his work alone, because of his death and resurrection, we do have life. We have forgiveness of sins. And so we cling to that truth. We grasp hold of that promise. We ask that you would make us assured of the forgiveness that Christ gives. That the forgiveness that you give because of Jesus. Father, let us live as a forgiven people, turning from our sin, confessing it, and walking in your light. Do that in our midst today, and do it all the days of our lives, so that today and every day we would honor you, our God who loves us and forgives his people. And we pray all this in Christ's name, and God's people said together, amen.